This is the Extra Innings Podcast. We're going to Extra Innings. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Breaking down all the latest with the blue. Hosted by Dodger insider and award-winning reporter. You have one for most entertaining talk show host to listen to while on the way to work. David Vassay. Welcome to the final episode of the Extra Innings Podcast of 2021, episode 27. That's right, 27 episodes of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona. We appreciate you downloading each and every one, and we'll try to do this again in 2022. We'll see whether or not Andre Ethier wants to be a part of it, but It's been a great time. It's been nothing but a good time on the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona. Just got back from the Andrew Friedman season-ending press conference just to put a bow on everything. I thought we'd wait until that took place before we uh, recorded the final episode of the Extra Innings Podcast presented by Corona, episode 27. So, A lot of things went down. It was a really good season for the Dodgers, 106 wins. First time in nine years they did not win the division, but they did go five games and beat the Giants in the NLDS, and it was a knockout, dragout NLDS. It was a knockout, dragout season for the Dodgers, and I really believe that the good times are over with. You know, the Giants and Padres – They are here to stay. They are going to do everything they can to make life very difficult for the Dodgers to win this NL West. Going back to 2013 all the way until 2020, the Dodgers had this division. There really wasn't much competition. In fact, the Giants getting the wild card, they finished significantly further back from the Dodgers in the division lead than ever before, but they did what it took to win the World Series a couple of different times as wild cards. But for the Dodgers, uh, the window of just being able to figure it out during the regular season and still win by 10 games, those days are over. The Giants and Padres are here to stay, and I feel like this is a new chapter for the Dodgers moving forward into 2022. I think we got a little bit of an early preview of what things are going to be like in this division. Nobody expected the Giants to be this good in 2021, but Farhan Zaidi found a lot of hungry players, and the pieces to the puzzle fit really well for him, and they won 107 games. And I feel like saying the pieces to the puzzle fit really well is somewhat of an understatement. The Giants had a fantastic year, an extraordinary year and they only won the division by one game. So I feel like going into the offseason, not only did the Dodgers and Giants fight tooth and nail down to the last day of the regular season, but I feel like they'll be fighting for certain players in free agency on the open market. So it's going to be a very interesting offseason. We all know that there's a pending lockout coming December 2nd, whether or not Anybody wants to acknowledge that on the team side or management side, that's a reality. It's coming December 2nd officially. 
The CBA expires on December 1st, and there will be a freeze in transactions on December 2nd. How long that lasts, nobody knows. I've heard from different people on the union side, on the owner's side, that say, you know what, it could last until spring training. It could last into spring training, but the one consensus I got was nobody expects this to be something that lingers into May or June. So maybe a couple of weeks of spring training are delayed. Hopefully it's not delayed at all because if it goes into March, then all of a sudden when things are agreed upon, there's going to be a frenzy of signings. And maybe that works into the Dodgers' favor to be able to sign some of the free agents, significant free agents they have on their team. Corey Seager, Chris Taylor. Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, Max Scherzer, Albert Pujols. Most importantly, though, the core guys, Taylor, Seager, Kershaw, and Jansen. What are the Dodgers going to do with those guys? And Andrew Friedman talked about it during his press conference, but I feel like first and foremost, there is a misperception that Andrew Friedman is calling down into the Dodger dugout to tell Dave Roberts who to play, who to bring in to pitch, that's just simply not happening. And Andrew was asked about that in his press conference about the perception, as bad as it is, that he is calling the shots not only before the game, but in the middle of the game. Yeah, I mean, I've answered this question each year after. Um, they're Dave's decision with Danny Lehman, Mark Pryor, and Bob Guerin guys in the dugout. Um, we do a lot of work to prepare ahead of time to understand like how certain relievers match up against certain hitters and they go through and figure out runs. Games play out in so many different ways that it's impossible to anticipate it before. And so those decisions are made in the dugout as they should be because so many things have changed in the two, two and a half, three, four hours, you know, from when, you know, just kind of going through it. I think it's more, um, and I think, you know, just to compliment Dave and our coaching staff, their focus is on doing everything they can to put our players in the best positions to succeed. And by doing that, obviously we win a lot more games than we lose if we continue to do that and we have the requisite talent to be able to do it. Um, but it, the answer is no different than what it's been. Um, and in game during those moments, it's 100% their decision. And as I've said in the past, there are a lot of things that happen in the course of a game that personally I disagree with, and oftentimes they work out uh, <laughs> on what we actually did. Um, you know, so many decisions that are made are in that middle. They're 40, 60, 45, 55, like very few things <laughs> are on extremes. And so being in the dugout I think is a different um, you have a different feel for those things than you do, you know, sitting in the stands, meaning me, um, and things that come up and factors that have played out that I don't know about till after the game. But I think they're really good at making decisions. So I thought that was a great answer and just put it out there on the record. I am not making decisions for Dave Roberts. Are we going through things before the game, certain scenarios that may play out? Of course they are. I mean, you would be naive to believe that they're not, 
But for anybody to believe that it was Andrew Friedman that scripted out Max Scherzer to pitch in the ninth inning of Game 5 in the NLDS in San Francisco, uh, you're wrong. If you believe that Julio Urias was summoned from the bullpen in Game 2 in the eighth inning of the NLCS, you're wrong. That's not happening. That's Dave Roberts' decisions. I'm not sure that's something that Andrew Friedman scripted. And in fact, he was asked specifically about those two decisions that eventually would put both of those pitchers in a precarious position where they barely could pitch the rest of the postseason. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to kind of break that up into different chunks. Um, You know, game five, winner take all, all hands on deck is one thing. You know, in the middle of a series is a different thing. Um, yeah, I think the winner take all, just the way things got sped up. And I think had Kinley's spot not come up in the top of the ninth, my guess is he pitches the ninth. Um, but I think part of it also is, you know, Max's level of conviction. Hey, I've done this before. I did this in 19, and I responded like it, did, it had no effect on me, which is great because everything in this game is individualized. We can't treat everyone the exact same way because different bodies respond differently. Different guys handle situations differently. Um, so knowing that bit of information, I think, you know, gave Mark Doc even more conviction, like, hey, let's hit for Kenley here, try to tack on, and then be able to go to Max. So now in retrospect, the way it ended up playing out, I think it's easy to say, oh, yeah, we would have done something differently. But I think at that time, I think it made a lot of sense personally. Um, and then the game, too, I totally get both sides of the argument. Um, you know, again, it gets back to the things that are, you know, kind of in that middle. Um, but that one, I totally get the question to. I think, you know, it's obviously a better question for Doc and Mark. Um, but uh, certainly get both sides of it. So two things right there. Number one, what I took away was he was not really that upset that Max Scherzer was brought in for game five of the NLDS. It sounded like he was wondering why Julio Urias was brought into the eighth inning of Game 2 of the NLCS. In fact, he said that's a question for Dave Roberts and pitching coach Mark Pryor, which tells me he wasn't on board with that decision. So not only do you have a Max Scherzer that really wasn't feeling that great, but now you're going to bring in Julio Urias, who has pitched more innings in this season than any other professional season of his career after handling him with kid gloves you're now going to bring him in in the eighth inning to protect a lead that's fine in years past where the Dodger bullpen may not have been as sturdy and reliable as this one was but this Dodger bullpen was from start to finish I shouldn't say that because some guys grew into the roles but from June on I would say this Dodger bullpen going into the postseason was maybe the top to bottom best they had. They didn't need to use Kenta Maeda to go into the bullpen to help them out. No, they had a really good bullpen. And that's why I feel in both circumstances, it was unnecessary to use Scherzer and Julio. Uh, Kenley Jansen should have pitched the final six outs of the NLDS. He already had gotten over the mental and physical hurdle of getting Buster Posey out in the eighth inning. 
No reason not to bring him back for the ninth inning. Protect that one-run lead and have Scherzer ready for the NLCS. You have to believe in your players. You have to believe in your pitchers. And that's why I felt like it was a mistake. And also, I think everybody agrees what an obvious mistake and miscalculation it was to bring in Julio Urias in the eighth inning. Blake Trinan and Kenley Jansen were two of the best relief pitchers in all of baseball, and they were both the Dodgers' back-end guys. You just put yourself in a precarious position, especially when you're only down to three starters. You only had three healthy starters. So nothing you could do about that, but it doesn't sound like Andrew Friedman was on board with Julio Urias pitching the eighth inning of game two in the NLCS. And by the way, Bruce Star Gratterall, say what you will about him, but he was getting the outs. He was pitching really well. So you had Gratterall, who should have pitched the seventh to get the righties, and Trinan and Jansen, any combination to get the last six outs. Whatever you felt were the best matchups, that's the route I would have taken in game two. Gratterall to face the righties in the seventh, and then have Jansen or Trinan pitch the eighth and ninth inning. You decide. That's up to you. Anyway, another issue for the Dodgers that Andrew Friedman talked about was the offense. You look on paper, you're thinking, why aren't these guys scoring five or six runs every game? Well, in the first two games of the NLCS, they were a combined two for 18 with runners in scoring position. And I feel like that was a microcosm of the entire season with this boom or bust offense. And Andrew Friedman addressed the boom or bust nature of this team. Yeah, we needed someone to step up and pull an Eddie Rosario. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very fair question. I don't know the answer. Um, you know, after we made the Trey Turner deal, uh, in my opinion, one through eight, it was the deepest, best lineup I've been around. Um, but it didn't quite play like that over those two months. And um, it was just a little lumpier than I would have expected. I thought by having that lineup depth, it could withstand some guys who, it's inevitable, a couple weeks stretch where a couple guys are out of rhythm, other guys are hot, other guys are more kind of in the middle and it just kind of ebbs and flows. Um, but we hit some real stretches where five, six guys in the lineup were kind of struggling at the same time. You know, how much of that is baseball? How much of it is stuff that we can <clears throat> do differently? I don't know the answer to it. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of talk in years past about, uh, you know, our reliance on slug. And this year was the perfect combination. We had more team speed up and down our lineup where we stole a lot of bases which was great in that it increased the chances to score runs. We just had a hard time converting it. And, you know, to me, that's a big part of this postseason was just our struggle to consistently score runs and feeling like we had the lineup depth to do that. It just didn't play out that way. And figuring out the why is important. As we all know, a lot of things in baseball are hard to tease out and get to the why. Um, but we'll at least spend time trying. All right, that was Andrew Freeman on the Dodger offense. And when you look at it, during the regular season, they really didn't steal that many more bases than what they did in the last full season that they played in back in 2019. 
The Dodgers stole 57 bases this year in the regular season. They stole 63, but during the postseason, they stole more bases than they ever had in franchise history. So they obviously were taking advantage of what teams were doing to them, and that's basically neglecting base runners. And that's something that down the line we'll talk to Andrew about how his relief pitchers neglected holding runners on. And the Dodgers were able to exploit that from the Atlanta Braves. Not only the slow uh, delivery to the plate, but also Travis Darno, who they felt they could take advantage of as well. So I give them points on that. I feel like every time somebody tries to say Andrew's opposed to a certain thing in baseball, he just completely blows that perception away because the facts are he does run. When the opportunity presents itself, Dave Roberts, as a manager, runs. He, uh, I, th- I really believe that Dave Roberts employs the safety squeeze more than any other manager in the last six years. I, I really do, and I'm not just saying that. So uh, Dodger fans only see the game in front of them. They're not looking at what other teams are doing, but I really believe it was refreshing after the Braves stole two bases to set up two big runs in game one of the NLCS, the Dodgers decided, you know what? We could take advantage of the same thing and even more because at least Will Smith has a strong arm. Travis Darno does not have as strong of an arm as Will Smith does. Plus, the Braves pitchers are neglecting our runners. So they were able to do that and do it pretty well to set up uh, scoring position runners, runners in scoring position, But like Andrew just said, they were never able to convert those into actual runs. And they were just two for 18 with runners in scoring position combined in the first two games of the NLCS. All right, what's next? That's what everybody wants to know. What is next for the Dodgers? Well, they have a lot of players in their organization that are going to be free agents, key players more than ever before under Andrew Friedman's watch. And I really believe this is a new chapter for the Dodgers, depending on who stays and who goes. And to a certain extent, either way, this is a new chapter for everything I talked about early on, where the Giants and Padres are going to make this division a lot more challenging to win than it has been the previous eight years. And also the fact that other teams are going to try to take away Guys like Corey Seager and Chris Taylor and Kenley Jansen. I kind of believe Clayton Kershaw will remain a Dodger. If he doesn't, he'll probably pitch in Texas close to his home. But I feel like uh, the Dodgers is where he wants to finish his career, and that's where the Dodgers want him to finish it. So here's what Andrew Friedman had to say about Kershaw and what his future holds and how he may treat him a little differently than past free agents and the current free agent crop. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, obviously what he's meant to this organization, to this city, um, you know, I think, again, from his standpoint, I think it's all about what makes the most sense for him and Ellen and their family. Um, You know, I think there's something, you know, taking off my president of baseball operations hat, there's something nostalgic and great about, you know, Kirsch playing with one team and, you know, being able to win another championship and having a parade. That being said, you know, he's put himself in this position to be able to go out and do whatever makes the most sense for his family. 
and we will support that. Have you got any sense of like if he wants to play next year? And it's probably too soon for that. Yeah, I mean, I think he just wants to like feel good again and get to that point where he's healthy, and you know, I'm sure we'll have conversations throughout the winter. So that sounds pretty confident on Andrew's part that he wants to make Clayton Kershaw a Dodger for life. Now it's all up to Clayton and where he wants to take his career and more importantly what him and his wife decide to do because they're expecting their fourth child and he loves being a dad. He really feels it when he's away from his kids and when he's with them. I've seen him. He's a a great father, and I know that means a lot to him, especially now that he's won a World Series championship. But I will tell you this. I started to see that look in Kershaw's eye where he's no longer just accepting the fact that uh, he's won a World Series and uh, he's hurt and nothing he could do about it. When Max Scherzer was going into detail about his body fatigue you could see that Kershaw wished that his body would be cooperating because he would have been out there for game six, no doubt about it. And on the plane flight home, same Kershaw I've seen after so many different playoff failures by the Dodgers while he's been on the team. So I feel like he wants to come back and stay a Dodger and we'll see where it goes. But I'm a lot more confident now than I was maybe early in the season that he wants to remain a Dodger. Now, the biggest thing is, how are the Dodgers going to keep all of these free agents? Uh, From what I'm gathered from different people around baseball, Chris Taylor, under these set of rules, probably will garner somewhere between four years and $60 million. Corey Seager will garner somewhere, as far as offers go, from what I've been told, between eight and 10 years and $250 and $300 million. I feel like it's a safe bet to say that Seager and Carlos Correa are probably going to get the biggest contracts this free agent offseason. And here's what Andrew Friedman, well, here's not what he said, but here's how he danced around the fact that this may be his most challenging offseason to retain all these players and more importantly, to replace some that don't come back. I don't know. I mean, I think each offseason feels that way to me when we're mired in it. Um, you know, again, I get the focus on our <clears throat> impending free agents. Our focus will be there as well soon, too. Um, but we also have a really good core in place and a really, um, you know, strong group that's returning with some players coming up that we feel really good about. And so as we look forward, it's about you know, whether it's our internal guys or external guys, it's how to round out, you know, our roster to put us in the best position to succeed. And I'm confident we'll get there. I don't know exactly what that will look like yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a better question for spring training because we'll just know more of which guys we retained and which guys we didn't. Um, But I do feel really confident that we're going to have a really good team in place as we open camp in, in Glendale. We all know how good of a player Corey Seager is, but he's really good in October. I know he did not have a great October, but he's a good hitter and can hit good pitching. So that's first and foremost. But think about this. Did the Dodgers ever replace the roles of Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson? They never did. Jock Peterson was able to play all three outfield spots 
Kike Hernandez, all three outfield spots, plus any position on the field. In fact, he could have played. In fact, he did. He's pitched too. He's He could play all nine positions on the field, plus he was an October performer. We saw him do it with the Red Sox. The Dodgers never replaced those two guys. I understand the business of baseball, but at least replace those guys. And the Dodgers never did. Never did during the season. Never did before the season. And I really believe that came back to really hurt them because you had Steven Souza Jr., Andy Burns, Billy McKinney taken at bats, crucial at bats. And that's just not what the Dodgers have done the past seven years under Andrew Friedman. It just hasn't happened. So the Dodgers need to find out what's going on with Cody Hosey and Michael Bush and why they haven't taken the next step in their development. And more importantly, see who's out there to supplement those guys because you can't go back to what the Dodgers were scraping the barrel with as far as the McKinney's, the Souza's, and Andy Burns. They got to do better than that. And honestly, that may have been the difference in winning and losing the division. Farhan Zaidi still has that knack to find under-the-radar guys to be big impact players. Lamont Way Jr., Mike Yastrzemski, Austin Slater, guys like that. The Dodgers had Billy McKinney, Steven Souza Jr., and Andy Burns. They were very fortunate that Albert Pujols was able to be had to face left-handed pitching because the rest of their bench um, was non-existent. And think about Chris Taylor. If you don't have Chris Taylor next year, you're missing a guy that can play virtually any position on the infield and any position in the outfield. So if you say goodbye to Chris Taylor, how many players are you going to have to sign to replace him? And can any of them replace his grittiness, the quality of at-bats that he gives you, how he plays through pain? Be careful what you wish for when you're so eager to replace guys because when you start bringing in players from other organizations, they're not as invested as the guys that have been here over the course of the last seven years. And look, father time doesn't stop for anybody, but the facts are you need to replenish it like Andrew Freeman has done over the course of his time with guys from the minor leagues and they desperately need the guys like Cody Hosey and Michael Bush to mature and be ready to contribute uh, at some point in 2022. All right, let's close out this episode with um, what Andrew Friedman had to say about Trevor Bauer because he was asked about him. He's the elephant in the room. He has not been officially suspended by Major League Baseball. I really believe Bauer was tone deaf during the playoffs to start posting Stuff on social media, completely tone deaf with the way he let his teammates down with his poor decisions. And he's posting workout photos. Are you kidding me? All right. Here's what Friedman had to say about Bauer and whether or not he'll ever pitch for the Dodgers again. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than where we were in July, August, September. Um, from our standpoint, it's being handled by the league office as soon as something is decided. Obviously, we will come down and uh, talk through it extensively with you guys. But until that happens, we have to kind of reserve comment. Do you have any timetable or any sense from I them don't how really. close they are? I don't really. Andrew, while we're on it, 
how much does that decision, you know, whether they suspend him for however how long, how much does that impact what you guys can do this offseason? And how much of a domino effect do you think that could have? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously it will have some. The extent of it, I don't know yet. Um, but, you know, obviously it's <clears throat> it's something real, and we have to figure out what that means. But it will more fall out of whatever MLB, you know, after they've gone through their investigation, whatever they decide is what they decide, and then we'll have to figure out from there what makes the most sense for us. Uh, you know, we talked a lot in spring training. Um, you know, we were on the more aggressive side with our payroll this year, and in other years we've not been as aggressive as this and, you know, more kind of able to at certain years be more aggressive and certain years peel back, but always having that core talent in place to be able to go out and win. And so the number one objective for us is going to be to put ourselves in the best position to win in 2022. And I feel confident we'll be able to do that. I will not say never, but I can't envision a world where Trevor Bauer pitches for the Dodgers again. Not just because of what Andrew Friedman had to say in the Major League Baseball suspension. That suspension won't last forever. But if the majority of the group of players that were on this year's team are back next year, how can he look them in the eye? In fact, he probably won't because he he knows he let them down. And maybe he'll be so tone deaf like he was during the playoffs to post social media pictures that he will try to act like nothing happened. But those players, you know, Dave Roberts mentioned it after game six. They overcame a lot. Injuries, number one, yes. But something they never talked about was they overcame the big distraction of Trevor Bauer. And they still went to the NLCS and they still won 106 games. Trevor Bauer, in my estimation, will never pitch for the Dodgers again because how will he be accepted back into that clubhouse? I just don't see how it's possible. And we'll see how this offseason unfolds. Like I said, it's very, very dangerous to replace players that have been part of your organization and the fabric of your culture with guys that are hired guns. We saw a few of them that were not as invested as others have been and others that currently are. So be careful. That's all I have to say. And you have to follow me on Twitter at the real underscore DV for all the latest hot stove information and on Instagram at officially Vassay. Thanks again to you for downloading and wanting to consume more Dodger content. Appreciate it. Hope I gave you some insight on what's to come this offseason. And also, you can um, go back and listen to all the previous 26 episodes. Uh, Ryan Pepio joined us. Ethier was on often. We had uh, Gil Hodges Sr., a wide variety of different uh, baseball people on the Extra Innings podcast presented by Corona. So thanks for a great year, and we'll talk to you um, coming up on off-season Dodger Talk at some point. You can follow me on Twitter for all the updates on when we'll be back. Have a great holiday season, and we will talk to you soon. See ya. 
We don't have to do anything extra. They've made a choice. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast. Extra Dodger content for Dodger fans who can't get enough of the blue. Like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't miss a single Dodger game at AM570LA Sports on the iHeartRadio app.